Hello, and welcome to the podcast, Quick Hits, from Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Ottawa, Canada. I'm the president of Borealis, Phil Gursky, and I want to wish all of my listeners a happy new year and a great 2020. Unfortunately, as is keeping with these podcasts, the subject matter that I want to talk a little bit about today is not the cheeriest, it is not the happiest of topics, and that, of course, is terrorism and violent extremism. After all, that's what Borealis is all about looking at acts of terrorism, doing some analysis, providing some insight, and giving the perspective of somebody who worked in counterterrorism for the better part of 15 years and has worked in intelligence for more than 30. The topic I want to start 2020 with is an event that happened just before New Year's. That was on January the 30th in New York City when a man walked into a house, a house that was owned by American Jews. He had a long knife with him and he proceeded to stab five people, one of whom is actually in quite critical condition in hospital. I read this morning on CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation's website, because of a major injury to his skull. And so the question then becomes whether or not this, in fact, was an act of terrorism. I noticed that the New York Mayor de Blasio called it an act of domestic terrorism almost immediately. I see from other news reporting that the individual has been charged with a hate crime under U.S. law. But the question then goes back to something we've talked a lot about on this program, and you've read a lot about in my blogs and the books that I've produced. Uh, what is terrorism? And I think in in the case of, of what happened on, on on this particular incident on January the 30th, whether or not the crime was in fact heavily influenced by a mental illness. This is, of course, what the defense is trying to to establish in this case uh, some of the facts that seem to be relatively certain at this point was that the individual who was responsible for the attack did carry out a couple of google searches for example why did hitler hate the jews and what are the prominent companies founded by jews in north america i also noticed that the individual in question according to his supporters has in fact perhaps been hearing voices that told him to go ahead and do this sort of thing. So again, the question then goes back to whether or not this was, uh, first of all, an act of terrorism versus an act of hate. We'll talk about that. And then secondly, whether or not this is a mental health issue and therefore introduces a complication into whether or not he can be tried under under US law. So let's go back to the act uh, itself. Moving away from the mental health issue for a second. Was it an act of terrorism? Well, again, depending on your jurisdiction, so American jurisdiction is slightly different than Canadian jurisdiction, but looking at Canadian law, as I've mentioned on several occasions in the past, an act of terrorism is a serious act of violence that is perpetrated for ideological, religious, or political reasons. That's what the Canadian Criminal Code says, in, beginning in section 83.1. Was this crime an ideological crime? It appears on the surface that that's a, a distinct possibility. Clearly, the individual uh, did some preliminary planning for this attack. His act was clearly an act of, of serious violence, and it clearly targeted a specific subset of the population, i.e. Uh, Hasidic American Jews. The next question then is that, was the act carried out in line with an ideology or a political idea? or religious idea. And that's where it's not so clear. So 
if we assume that for the time being that mental health is not going to be the issue here, the attack was clearly anti-Semitic in nature in that it targeted Jews specifically. But does that mean it was by definition terrorist? Not necessarily because there is also provisions under many criminal codes, including the US code, including Canada's, for what we call hate crimes. Now hate crimes are acts of violence that are targeted at a specific group of people, whether that group is defined by religion, by ethnicity, by race, by sexual orientation, it doesn't really matter. The Crown or the prosecution has to establish that this was not just a run-of-the-mill crime you see happening all the time, but that it was targeted at a specific group. That's what makes it a hate crime. So I think at a minimum, we could call what happened in New York on January the 30th a hate crime. Whether or not it, it's terrorism, I think that remains to be seen. But perhaps the more important question in this particular incident is whether or not the perpetrator was in fact mentally competent. Now, I'm not going to go into a lot of details about this because I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a psychologist, I'm definitely nothing re remotely approaching a specialist in these areas. But I do want to weigh in a little bit on the nexus, if you will, between mental illness and terrorism. I fear that on many occasions, and it certainly happened here in Canada, a lot of crimes that are, at least on the surface, appear to be terrorist in nature, have been dismissed out of mental illness. In fact, it comes up more often than not that supporters of the accused will say, well, he or she wasn't responsible, he or she had issues, psychological issues, mental issues. It's almost as if we want to dismiss the nature of the crime by saying that it would not have taken place if, in fact, the individual had not suffered from some kind of mental, mental stress. I got a real problem with this for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, nobody doesn't does not have a mental issue. We all have mental issues, whether they're stress or anxiety. Fortunately, uh, the majority of people do not suffer from a serious mental illness, which prevents them from functioning in society, which prevents them from engaging in normal activities. So I think we want to make a clear distinction between a mental issue and mental illness. I think those two are very, very different categories. Again, I'm not going to weigh on a mental illness. That's that's not something I've studied or worked into my career. And the last thing I want to come across is as somebody speaking on a topic for which I know very little. But I do feel that a lot of people immediately go to the mental illness or mental issues issue, if I can use that term twice, when talking about a terrorist attack. And I think part of that is an inability to comprehend what terrorism is. Part of it is an inability to understand why someone would act out in this way for ideological, political, or religious reasons. And so it's a way to sort of explain away an act that is very violent in nature that most people fail to understand. They fail to grasp the history behind it, the psychology behind it. And it seems a little more little easier, if you will, to say, well, that's just a mental issue. Therefore, I don't have to go any further to try to explain and understand what, what exactly happened. So we've seen a couple cases here in Canada in the last couple of years where in, in some cases, the defense successfully argued that the perpetrator who had carried out what was clearly an act of terrorism 
was not criminally responsible due to mental illness. I'm referring to an attack back in 2017 in Markham, which is part of Toronto, in which an individual walked into a, US, a Canadian Army recruiting base uh, and stabbed a few people. He was charged under, uh, and then he was found, he was taken to trial and he was found not guilty by mental illness, i.e. he was not criminally responsible for his crimes. A year later, we had a woman go into a Canadian tire, also in a part of, of Toronto called Scarborough, swinging a golf club at some people. She was a, an ISIS wannabe. She had gotten as far as Turkey before she was turned around. She was frustrated at not being able to join the terrorist group and therefore she chose to lash out against people in a Canadian tire. We had the case in 2013 in Toronto where a Tunisian a PhD student named Shehebe Sagayer together with a buddy called Raad Jazer had planned to derail a via train between New York and, and Toronto in the Niagara Corridor. He was found guilty under five counts of terrorism in the trial in 2015. Since that time, a lot of people have looked at his lack of defense. He defended himself in court as a sign of mental illness, calling for a retrial. In fact, he will get a retrial based on the fact that the jury selection process violated some bizarre aspect of Canadian law. What all of these cases, I think, point to is that we're not really good at looking at terrorism as a particular crime, as, a, as a, an offense that's committed under specific circumstances, and that we default to dismissing it as a mental health issue. And I'm not trying to say here that people who suffer from serious mental incapacity, those who do not know the difference between right and wrong, those who clearly cannot be said to be responsible for their crimes, they shouldn't be sent to prison. They should get the help that they need within psychiatric institutions or whatever. But I do think at the same time that it is possible for someone to be suffering from mental issues, i.e. not serious mental, mental illness, and to carry out an act of terrorism. The two are not mutually exclusive. And my fear is, is that because we don't understand terrorism and that we are afraid of it and we, we want to sort of make it go away, that our, our lack of ability to comprehend this particular issue leads many of us to, to dismiss it as nothing but a mental illness. And that's not the right thing to do. Just as in all forms of criminality, you've got the whole gamut of people from you know cold calculating murderers to people who are living on the wrong side of the tracks, struggling with life when under undertake violent crimes, it's the same thing with terrorism. I don't I don't see why we should, we should see it as any different. So moving forward, I'd like us to have a little more mature conversation about terrorism and terrorist crimes, not to have a knee-jerk reaction to try to cover it up with mental illness. Again, in circumstances where there clearly is somebody who does not have that capacity to judge whether something is right or wrong, by all means, make sure they get the help that they need. But let's not use that as our default position to say that all terrorists, by definition, somehow have some kind of underlying mental illness. This issue is not going to go away. Uh, as we move forward, we'll see more cases come forward where the defense will want to use the mental health issue because it gets their client off from a very serious criminal charge. And at the same time, you'll have that sort of general societal reaction that if I don't understand something, I'll simply label it what I do understand. And what I understand is mental illness. We'll see what happens in 2020 and going forward. As I said, I don't. I think we'll have far too many examples to use to gain a further understanding of what this phenomenon is. So we'll just wait and see what happens. That's it for quick hits. Number eight, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I'd love to hear from you. Please leave your comments 
wherever this you listen to this podcast on, on social media. You can also reach me on Gmail at borealisrisk at, at gmail.com. The website is www.borealisthreatenedrisk.com. I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter at Borealis Saves, and Facebook. A reminder that you can subscribe to all the content available on Borealis. There are podcasts, there are quick hits, there's the Today in Terrorism series that's been going on for several months now, and other shorter pieces and perspectives. I'd love for you to subscribe and provide me with your views on what you think of the material, whether it's good or bad, as well as some ideas for the future. I'll talk to you again soon. Until then, stay safe.